This is the Commonwealth City Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. Commonwealth is a church in Lexington, Kentucky. For more info, visit our website at commonwealthcitychurch.com and follow us on Instagram at comcitychurch. We hope you enjoy the message. So why don't we go ahead and stand and just read. We're going to read the first seven verses of John 17. And in it, Jesus is going to give us some insight into what it looks like to be a disciple. So John 17, starting in verse 1, ending in verse 7. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you have given me out of this world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. And so, Lord, we just come to you. Jesus, Father, Holy Spirit, three in one, we come to you. And Jesus, we know that everything the Father gave you was from his hands, not any other. And so we first come to you in repentance. That there are many things that we have that we don't give you credit for. And so would you turn our eyes tonight to be fixed upon you, to know that every good and perfect gift comes from you. To know that on the other end of that yoke that you you call us to bear is you. And you say that your yoke is easy and that your burden is light. And so we join with you, Jesus, to know where every gift comes from, from the Father, and to know what it looks like to invest in the kingdom that you're building and to carry the burden with you, knowing that you ultimately carry the heavy weight. We pray it in Jesus' name. You can have a seat. So, when it comes to investing, when it comes to investing, We want to talk about giving in response to what we've been given. That's the framework that we want to talk about investing in. Giving in response to what we've been given. And so it begs the question, what have you been given? There's an easy Sunday school answer to this, right? It's Jesus himself, right? But think about that for a second. God sent his only son to live the perfect life that you couldn't live, to die the death that you deserved so that you could have eternal life. Your sins paid for on the cross. Your guilt, your shame paid for on the cross. This is the best news. This is what we've been given. And Jesus tells us that everything that he was given Everything that we are given come down from the Father. 
He says it in verse 7. He says, now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. This is how he is ending his ministry with a prayer, telling them, now you know. Everything that was given to me was given from the Father. And you see this resonate with with John the Baptist. He teaches the same thing. A person cannot receive one thing unless it is given him from heaven. It's John 3, 27. And James, the same sentiment. Every good and perfect gift is from the Father above. And so everything that we look at in our lives the car that you drive, the job that you work, the school that you go to, you name it. If it's good, God gave it. So this includes our budgets. Some of us that are in college, you might not be familiar with what that is yet. You'll get there, it's okay. Our budgets, our calendars, our possessions, Not just tangible gifts, but also our talents that God gave us. Those are all from him. And if we know who gave them, then we treat it a little differently. So I want to pose this question. If somebody only had your budget or your bank statement, would it witness that you love Jesus. If all they had was your bank statement, your budget, would someone know that you are a follower of Jesus, that you sow into the local church, that you give to things that are important to you? Would, Would they know, even by your calendar, the way that you spend your time, if all somebody had was your Google calendar, your Apple calendar, would they know that you love Jesus? Does it say anything in it about devoted time to prayer? Devoted time to getting his word. Making appointments with God. Making appointments with his people. Do they declare the glory of God in your life? And it's easy to say, well, I don't have money because I'm a college student. I've been there. I understand. Or I don't have time because I'm super busy working two jobs and I don't have anything of value to offer. We have a number of excuses, do we not? So I I love, there's this theologian named J.I. Packer, and he says it this way. He's talking about how we've, we've taken all of this that God has given us, and we've said it's mine. So now I get to decide what to do with all of it. And he says, the world sees each person's money as his own possession to use as he or she likes. But scripture, however, sees our money as a trust from God to be used for his glory. The world sees money to be used as he or she likes. Scripture sees money as a trust from God to be used for his glory. And so what does this mentality say about us and about God? This mentality that it's mine, I get to decide everything to do with it. I worked really hard and built a really good resume so that I could get this job or so that I could get into this school. I worked overtime so that I could have extra money to be able to put toward this payment or this thing that I wanted. It basically says this, God gave me my job 
and income, but I get to choose how I spend it. God gave me my time on this earth, but I get to choose how to manage it. God gave me my talents, but I get to choose how I use them. And this is the mentality that we have. And I think it's rooted in the fact that we forget where it came from. We forget that every good and perfect gift is from the Father above, comes down from heaven. When we say, God gave, but I, this is a consumer mentality. And you know that we struggle with this in our culture. We want the latest iPhone. We want to drive the best car. We want to have the best thing. We have this consumer mentality. And I'm, I, I just, I see it all over scripture. It seems to me like the antidote to consumerism is sacrificial generosity. Do you have the ability to just give it away? This is something that God does in us. When we see Jesus on the cross and we see what's been given to us, we give out of a response to what we've been given. And maybe you see it most clearly in the life of Paul. In Acts 21, he says this. They're trying to convince him, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. They'll kill you. And here's Paul's response. He says, I'm not ready only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. That is somebody speaking from a heart that has been changed. My Jesus died for me and made a way, bridged the gap of separation between me and God the Father. I am willing to die for him also. This is what Paul says. Because Jesus laid down his life for Paul Paul responds by being willing to lay down his life for others. It's the only way. It's the only thing that would motivate you to that end. And so I want to paint in light for us this, like a a biblical basis of generosity. And you see it from, from all the way through, from Genesis to Revelation. In Genesis, you see that God looks at Adam and he says, it's not good for Adam to be alone. He gives him what? A wife, right? I'm super thankful for that, right? Amen, Kurt. (laughs) He's like, God is good to Adam even in the very beginning. And you see this continued throughout God's faithfulness to his people. All the way to Revelation where he promises that in the new heaven, the new Jerusalem, that he himself will be our light and we shall not want Gosh, that's amazing. I cannot wait. Streets of gold, I could probably wait for. But man, the, 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 the very fact that like we won't even be tempted to sin anymore, I can't wait for that. That God himself will be our light and he will wipe away every tear. I can't wait for that. This is God's generosity to his people. His faithfulness. Jesus laid down his life. For us, this is how he showed his love. And so we show his love by laying down our lives for others. The Father generously gave you all that you have 
And so we show his generosity, we bear witness to the world of the generosity of God to us by being generous, by giving away what he has given us. The Holy Spirit has graciously gifted you. And so we use these gifts, we show God's grace by using these gifts to serve others, whatever it may be. Each one of you is a different body part to the full body of Christ. And so each one of you will serve God in unique ways. And it's beautiful, it's needed. And all of it will bear witness to the grace of God who gave you that gift. And so Acts 2 gives us a really good picture of what the early church saw as generosity. And it was that they they sold their possessions, they sold their belongings, whatever it took to make sure that no one had need. I mean, look around. We have, what, 30, 40 people here? What if that was true of just these 30 or 40 people? That whatever it took, we made sure that none of us had need. Wouldn't it change the way that we live? But that is what the church did. Like that is the precedent that we have. And they gave to all who had need. I want to show us also in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. It gives us this clear picture of what generosity does in us. Paul's talking to uh, the the Macedonians, and he's talking about the gift that they're gonna give to their fellow believers in Jerusalem. So it's one church, one body of believers giving to other believers in need. And he says this, look, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So for sake of time, I just want to draw out a few very brief points from this passage. One is that we we give from a cheerful heart, not an obligated one. So if we give out of response to what God has given us, then our gratefulness is what causes us to respond in giving. So we give out of a cheerful heart, not an obligated one. You see this in verse 7. Also, Um, tithing is a guide from the Old Testament, but amount, Paul says, is a personal decision. What they would traditionally think is 10% was actually 10% of the first fruits or the best animals, the best crops. So it it could have been up to 27%. So 10% is really just a, a baseline. It's a guide. And Paul says that amount is a personal decision in verse 7. Verse 8, I love this. His response 
His response to people that were probably thinking, man, I don't know if I can sacrifice that much, is he says, God will supply your every need. Paul's not worried about it. He says the same thing to the Philippians in chapter four. He says, God will supply your every need. So what does this look like? What does this look like practically? Where you are in your season of life. I want to challenge you with something. Something that I wish I would have been challenged with much sooner. And it's this. To invest in the church as what God has ordained is the primary conduit of kingdom work and gospel propagation. What I mean by that is God has said that he's coming back for his bride and that he's coming back when every people group on earth have heard and the gospel has been proclaimed and then he will return, Matthew 24, 14. And so we want to be a church that is committed to this, to taking the gospel to those who have not yet heard. And we want to be a church that's committed to the things of Jesus, to kingdom work. And so we want to align our hearts with God, who says that his church is the primary conduit through which he's going to do those things. So I don't, I don't know if we have the slides for the, the text, Maybe. Okay, do we have one for text to serve or just text to give? Okay, that's all right. That's all right. So two primary ways that you can invest here at Commonwealth City Church. Your time and talent. Your time and talent. Come talk to me. Come talk to Trey. Come talk to anybody that, well, Talk to the person next to you first and say, hey, if I want to get plugged in here to serve, who can I talk to? Ask them. Because here's the thing. Some of you might not have, a mu- like, you might not have much funds, but you do have time. You do have talent. See this as a place that you plug in, that you serve. And see this as a place that you sow into So the whole text to give thing is something new that we've started because let's be honest, millennials are all kind of heading that way where you do everything on your phone, right? And so here's my challenge to you. Ask God what it would look like for you to invest in your local church with your time and with your treasure. Ask God what it would look like to invest here. We're running out of time, so I'm going to have to move on. Um, just real quick, what does that go to? Giving goes to the, the, the pastors and the staff that are equipping the saints for work of ministry. It goes to the facility that we get to gather in. It goes to the different ministries that we support in our city. It goes to helping those that are in need, and it goes to missionaries that might be taking the gospel to other places. 
So that, what? So that Jesus will come back. This is what we're about. We want to be a church that's about that. Jesus being known. And God has chosen his church as the primary conduit of that. So those are proactive ways, reactive ways to invest. As needs come up, find a way to meet them. Even if you're not the person that can, find somebody that can help you. As needs come up, meet them. And so when it comes to investing, I just want to ask this question. Does the world know that we, the church, the outside world looking into our church, Commonwealth City Church, does the world know that we are family by the way that we invest our time and treasure? Because I hope, I hope that everything that we give to, whether it's our time or our treasure, that people would see there's something different about those Christians. There's something different about people that go to Commonwealth City Church. They walk out changed. They live their lives sacrificially, generously. And of course, we know that all of that is really just a reflection of who we are in Jesus. It's really a response to what we've received in Jesus. And so that leads us to burden, which I've talked about a little bit. And a burden, I'll define this way, a family that bears all things with Jesus and joins him in mission to the world. When we share burden, that's what we want it to be. It's, It's that we're a family joining Jesus on his mission to the world. And so as Americans, we live very individualistic lives, right? We just assume that everybody's okay. We just go about our own way. We do our own thing. Like, that's just how we live. It's very different from people from more, like, family-oriented cultures or or, or, or group cultures. Like, I, I had a Honduran roommate one time. And every single paycheck that he would get, he would send money home to his family. That's just what he did. Like, it's not whether his family needed it or not. He was just so family-oriented that his family lived a long way off, and he sent money back every paycheck. Middle Eastern friends that I have, um, it seems like they think something's wrong if you don't text every couple of days. That is so different for me. Like, I can pick up with somebody I haven't talked to in months, But they're more family-oriented. They're committed to one another in a different way. We're very individualistic. And so sharing burdens in Christ, I believe, is what leads us out of individualism. Sharing burdens with locked arms, being on mission together, is what leads us out of individualism. Because burdened people live selfless lives. And this is what makes us family Burden people live sent. And this is what makes us family on mission together. So I want to start with that as our baseline of, of what it means to be burdened people, to be selfless and to be sent. So we know what Jesus was burdened by because he tells us and he shows us. Do you guys remember why Jesus wept? Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Why did he weep? His friend died because Lazarus died. 
But Jesus knew that he was going to die. They told him. Jesus, I believe, was weeping because he saw the wages of sin. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. He saw it with his own eyes and, and his friend. And yet I love what Jesus says in John 17, verse 4. He says, on earth, I did the work you gave me. Man, I, I would love to be able to say that to God when I finally get to see him face to face. God, I did the work that you gave me. And I did it in response to the work that you did for me through Jesus on the cross. So what burden was Jesus bearing? What mission was he on? There are many ways that you can answer this. And I want to highlight just a few verses in John 17 that I think sum it up pretty well. In verses 24 and 26, we see Jesus says that one of his burdens is that his love be in us and that we be with him where he is. That his love be in us. Have you experienced the love of Jesus? Because if you haven't, then you don't know extravagant love. You don't know the Jesus of the Bible. Have you experienced his love? And do we have a desire to be with him where he is? That we do not fear death coming to us one day because we know that we will see him face to face and it will be a glorious day where he will wipe away every tear and we will sin no more and he himself will be our light, Revelation says. This is Jesus' desire for those that follow him, is that they would know his love and that they would be with him where he is. Doesn't that sound a lot like family? You would know love and you would be with each other. And in verse four, Jesus says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus was burdened with glorifying the Father, with accomplishing his mission doing everything that the Father gave him to do. Is that true of us? Do we share that burden with Jesus? And summarize it this way, that, that his love be in us and we be in him. Do we share that burden? And do we share this with others? Because that was also his burden. In the Gospels, when he had preached enough in one town. The disciples came to him and they were seeing so much success, people coming to know him and follow him. And Jesus is like, man, this is amazing, but I have to go to the next town because this is why I came, that they might hear also. Do we share this love with others? Do we glorify God? Do we accomplish the work that he gives us? This is our shared burden with Jesus to share in his love, to be family with him, to be one with him, and to share that with others. We also have unique burdens. And I want to give us the example of Paul and the example of Timothy to show you what I mean by unique burdens. So in Paul, with Paul, in Acts 22, 
you see him speaking or hearing from Ananias. So Paul was just walking, went blind, shows up to Ananias, and Ananias says this to him. He, he, he blesses him to receive his sight back. And he says, God appointed you, Paul, to know his will, to see Jesus, and to hear from his mouth. And he tells him, you will be a witness of what you have seen and heard. Sounds an awful lot like Acts 1, doesn't it? You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And so Paul is simply bearing witness in Acts 22 to what has happened to him. And then he tries to disqualify himself. He says, but Lord, the blood of your martyr Stephen is on my hands, verse 20. And Jesus' response is simple. He doesn't even address what Paul says. He says, go, for I will send you to the Gentiles. And so Paul's burden, in Romans 15, 20, he tells us his burden is to make the gospel known where it's not, to where people have never heard the good news of Jesus, and his burden is also to go to the Gentiles, which was the non-Jews, the people that no one else really wanted to go to. That's who Paul felt burdened for, those that had never heard and those that no one else was going to. This was Paul's unique burden. Timothy's unique burden was a little different. Paul describes himself as a, a preacher, teacher, apostle. He, he, he's doing all these new works and new places. And then Timothy comes in after Paul as an evangelist pastor. So he continues the work of Paul. So Paul planted the church. Timothy came in and began pastoring and shepherding the people. And, and, and Paul's charge to Timothy is protect the gospel. Protect it. Guard the deposit entrusted to you, he says in 2 Timothy 1. Preach the word. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So what he's telling Timothy is, Timothy, I believe that you're called to this. I believe this is your burden, that you would guard the gospel that they have heard. Make sure that no one is changing it or distorting it, because many will try. Preach the word faithfully. Do the work of an evangelist. And so Timothy's unique burden is living in this tension of, of building up the church and preaching the word to the church, but also being an evangelist or going out to people that have never heard the gospel and bidding them, come, come, come follow Jesus. Come see this extravagant love that I've experienced. And so you see unique burdens at play here. Paul starting new works and Timothy, building continued works. And this is true of each of us. We have unique burdens in addition to the shared burden with Jesus to make disciples. And our unique burdens well up from inside of us how God has made you. Each one of you is uniquely made, fearfully and wonderfully made. So what talents has God given you? What passions has he given you? What things when you hear about them are you like, I have to do something about this? 
Like there is this injustice that I cannot shake. I know that God is grieved by this. Join him. Maybe it's people in a far off land that have never heard. And you feel compelled to go. Whatever it takes. Lord, here I am, send me, you might say. Or some of you might feel very strongly compelled to simply cross the street and engage with college students that have maybe never heard. What ways do you feel burdened to join Jesus? So I want to ask the question, what is it to fulfill your ministry? What is it to accomplish the work that God gave you to do? What people has he put in your pathway? What doors has he opened and invited you to walk through? What things draw your heart that you just cannot explain, but you have to take a step toward? What are those things for you? Is it like Paul? Maybe to make the gospel known where it's not? Is it like Timothy, to build up those that are in the church and yet to share the gospel with those that are outside the church? I mean, here's the thing. Like, some of you will quit jobs, change careers, reorient your lives in a way that you never thought in a million years you would do. And you will do it out of obedience for Jesus. Some of you will cross the street Some of you will cross the ocean, taking the gospel to people that have never heard. What is your burden? What is your burden? And how might you join Jesus in that? One thing is for sure. In everything that Jesus calls us to, promises to go with us. He promises to provide every need that we would have. He promises to share in that burden. My yoke is easy, he says, but my burden is light. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, for I am with you, he says. Sent out in the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus goes with us when we go. We join him on mission. We join him in our burdens. So what does that look like for you? As we respond tonight, well, before we respond, There's a card if you want to learn more of what it looks like to invest here, why we invest here, how to invest here. There's a card right outside as you're walking out on a table that says invest at the top. Grab one. Even if you're not sure what that looks like yet, I challenge you to grab one, take it home, pray over it. Lord, what does this look like for me? And so this is the hard part of this whole learn, worship, invest, burden thing is there are definitely commonalities here. But there's also uniqueness because we are many parts to one body with Christ as the head. So I can't tell you what your burden is. I can tell you what our shared burden is to make disciples together and to do it as family with locked arms. 
but I can't tell you what your unique burdens are. And so I want to challenge you to sit with the Holy Spirit in prayer. Sit with God's word, and as you read it, ask him to reveal to you what it looks like to join him uniquely in the burdens that he's placed in you. So as we respond tonight, I want to leave two questions up here for you to think through, for you to pray through. How is God asking me, personalize it, or my family, to sacrificially invest in this church family with time and treasure? And why are you burdened to reach? Who, I'm sorry, who are you burdened to reach with the gospel? Pray for them. How might you bless and serve them? And so here in a minute, you'll have time to respond. And you can do that a number of ways. You can sit and pray right where you are. You can wrestle through these questions with the Lord in prayer. You can come up here and you can receive in the front or the back a symbol of Jesus' body that's broken for you and his blood that is shed for you. He says, anytime you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So if you're a believer in Jesus, come, be nourished with the body and blood that he broke and shed for you until the day that we dine and dwell with him forever. If you're not a believer, a follower in Jesus, take something better than this bread and wine or juice. Take a hold of Jesus himself. He's knocking at the door, waiting for you to open that he might come in and sit with you.